This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. The goal of this podcast since day one is to provide the best information on the Vancouver real estate market at no cost to you, the listeners. To that end, we'd like to thank the following sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Burquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at markon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at markon.ca or follow them at Instagram at markonhomes. Markon, building for life. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, today we've got Kyle Green from the Green Mortgage Team. This is one of those guests that we've been wanting to have on the program for a long time. Kyle Green's really well-known in the community. He's also one of the largest mortgage brokers in Canada, and he focuses on investment properties. So he's such a fantastic guest for the show. Super excited to have Kyle on the show today. For sure. And one of the things we actually address with Kyle is... Not all mortgage brokers when it comes to investments are, are created equally. That, that is an understatement, I would say. Yeah. You have to have a, a specific skill set, right? If you're going to be dealing with investors on a regular basis. And Kyle kind of highlights how he handles his clients and their portfolios. That's right. And the thing about a guy like Kyle is not only is he specialized in uh, investment properties, he also funds you know, what is it, hundreds, thousands, I don't know how many deals he does a year, but he, he's seen, a, seen them all. He has right? seen them all, and he does a lot of complicated deals as well. I mean, he does. That's the what easy he's known for. Too. Yeah, he would do the easy ones. He's clear to. He's, he doesn't turn away the. Easy he definitely ones. doesn't turn away the easy ones. Yeah, but, but he can do the hard ones, and, and this not is, everybody can. This is a fantastic conversation that we have with Kyle today. We cover everything. We cover what's happening in the market, what's happening in lending, yeah. what's gonna what's gonna change this year in interest rates, and we really get Kyle to get his crystal ball out. That's right. A couple times he uh, begrudgingly. Make some projections, but uh, oh come on, he he's he's excited to make the projections. Well, he definitely he definitely makes them. The other exciting thing is 
he talks about kind of the tightening that's happened across the board the last year and how long that's going to last and what do you expect this year. It's a, it's a great conversation. It is. And uh, we were very fortunate to have Kyle in the studio right. where there happened to be a young photo of myself. And uh, <laughs> Kyle seemed to think that I looked like, and I used to get this a lot as a kid. Yeah. But, uh, yeah you... My doppelganger is Giovanni Rabisi. Geo- Popular boiler room. Yeah, but people probably don't know him. Well, maybe. I, I don't know if boiler room is actually the reference most people get. I think he also was made popular by uh, being Phoebe's brother on Friends. Brother or boyfriend? I think... Uh, brother. Are you sure? We might have to <laughs> have to get the friend dictionary out. Yeah. Um, Chris, but- <laughs> to the bookshelf. <laughs> <laughs> to the bookshelf. <laughs> We're, we're really not Friends fans either. This is the worst part. Um, man, Friends has really been, in, on a side note, really it, embraced it's, it's, by the you know what? Uh, millennial I was, generation. I, and even the younger generation than that. I was uh, with some nieces that were 17, and they're like all over Friends. Really? You know what the next big thing for millennials is going to be? Here, I'll give you a hint. Whoa. Blossom. <laughs> Blossom is going to be, um, that's my prediction for 2019 before we get to Kyle's predictions, a blow up of Blossom uh, followed by, <laughs> followed by uh, uh, Family Matters. But yeah. uh, there's there's a lot of great shows we're going to cycle through from the 90s. Not well, you, the you, heard it, you heard it here first. Uh, Adams doesn't give a lot of predictions, but... Uh, <laughs> But we finally got one out of him. But anyways, it was interesting that that uh, yeah, you were you were quite taken aback that he thought you. Well, I haven't heard like that for years. Giovanni but you Rubisi, you yeah. get a you get a lot of uh, different doppelgangers. I do. I get I get a few. The one that really uh, sticks in my mind, and I have a photo of it, was once I was at a, a bar and I was with a large group, and the waitress uh, had made notes of what everybody was drinking, and it uh-huh. was like. Guy with leather jacket, like two Coronas. Guy that is Hugh Grantish, and you were the three rum and cokes. You were wearing the leather jacket. <laughs> three rum and cokes. Yeah. First of all, the guy wearing the leather jacket was definitely not drinking Corona, and he and was se- definitely and, drinking the Ryan cokes. Yeah, and second of all, uh, yeah. So you're the Hugh Grant. Hugh Grant, I get that occasionally. It's because you're I always kind of. Uh, it's that. Uh, it's your more your demeanor, maybe. No, I think it's my uh, stunning good looks, actually. (laughs) Your stunning good looks. Yeah, well, the best is Secret Scalina's got... uh, Yeah, who do you you uh, get? Who do you get? Yeah, here. Step up to the mic, Secret. (laughs) Mine was uh, a number of years ago now. A woman I was talking to wasn't much of a movie buff, and she says, you know, you look like uh, somebody from that movie, that movie Blow, that just Johnny Depp. I was like, Johnny Depp? Wow, real feather in my cap. And she says, no, no, the other guy... And it uh, turns out the other guy was Pee Wee Herman. <laughs> oh, man. It's crazy when someone's like, it's crazy when your doppelganger is like the only guy who's ever, like the only celebrity who's ever been caught masturbating in a theater. <laughs> a real feather in your cap. <laughs> Do you still get Paul Herman? <laughs> Is it Paul Herman? It is Paul Herman. I think Herman. it's Paul Rubin. Paul, oh, Ru- Paul Rubin. Paul, Paul Rubin. Rubin. <laughs> I think it's Paul Rubin. <laughs> Anyways, re- enough about doppelgangers. Let's, uh, let's cut to our interview. We've got a fantastic show today. This is a great conversation for anyone who's interested in the 
current lending climate, what's going to happen with the market in 2019, and also what's going to happen with interest rates in 2019? This is an insightful one, and it's uh, for anyone interested in real estate. I think they're going to find this a useful conversation. So anyway, let's cut to our uh, talk with this Brad Pitt lookalike. He's more of a Jeremy Renner. Well, but taller. Enjoy, guys. Okay, so we're here with Kyle Green, owner of the Green Mortgage Team. How are you doing, Kyle? Really good. Thanks for taking the time. Yeah, maybe, Kyle, can you start by telling us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, I've been a mortgage broker almost my entire adult life, actually. So I started 12 years ago when I was 19. Um, started working for uh, for a group. It was called Meridian Mortgage Services at the time. And, um, and eventually became business partners with uh, the people that I started training under. Um, so two years into uh, being a mortgage broker, I went off on my own, started building my own business, became business partners with them. And, um, and so I own Green Mortgages, my own company. That's my own volume and, and originations. And then I also own 50% of a franchise as well. And that's where we train and, and hire new brokers and help uh, them build their business. 19 as a mortgage broker, that's pretty young. Did, <laughs> it is. How, did, that, did you just kind of fall into it or... or? Was yeah. it a dream from a young age? To oh, be a oh yeah, broker? you know, you grow up and you're just, <laughs> I'll tell you this though, I always love people, money and numbers. So growing up, um, I didn't realize it when I became the mor- a mortgage broker, but um, but I did realize a few years into it that I guess I've always loved people, money and numbers and that's perfect. I deal with all three of those things doing this, so. Right, right. And you're involved in, you focus, I should say, on primarily on investments, yep. investment properties. Yeah, so I um, I ended up, very shortly after getting into the business, so in 2000, I started in November 2006. Um, by the spring of 2008, we got connected with Ozzy Jurok, um, a real estate guru in Vancouver, and um, he used to have a uh, an individual that was running his mortgage franchise. So when I first started in the company, I was working for the head office of a company that owned about 25 mortgage franchises, mainly in BC. Uh, Ozzy was one of those franchise owners and he had that fellow leave and he needed somebody else to take over. So here goes 20 year old Kyle. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So it was a, it was a fun experience, but right away I learned, oh wow, this is, this is my ticket. Um, This is what, you know, I I don't want to work, you know, my entire life and a lot of people don't want to do that. And that's why people look at it real investing in real estate. So it clicked right away, the math, the concepts, everything uh, worked really well. And so I very quickly became a investment-focused uh, in, uh, mortgage broker. And so about 80% of my client base are real estate investors. And, and why focus on investments or investors? It, it clicks with me. Like yeah. even, even before I got into mortgage brokering, um, I was in, uh, in college for, uh, for business. And I remember actually dropping out of that and, uh, and quitting that to become a mortgage broker full-time. Um, but uh, I was working at a, uh, a credit union when I was uh, when I was nineteen, I just turned nineteen, and I got that job. But I was getting into that because I wanted to get into finance, and I wanted to be getting into investing. Um, I remember I had an accountant, uh, one of my my accounting teachers. We were talking after class, and his brother had a boat and a Porsche and a mansion and this and that. I'm like, oh, what does he do? Stockbroker. I'm like, that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> you <laughs> 2008. Dropped, dropped out of the... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, goodbye, right? <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I, I've, you know, I, I realized very quickly a unionized environment wasn't a great fit, though. Um, I needed something where you, you, um, 
uh, you earn what you're worth and the work you put into it is what you get out of it. Um, so very quickly I made that transition into something where I could put a lot of my effort into something that would, you know, financially and, and personally reward me. Right. So Kyle, you work with a lot of investors, Adam and I do as well. Um, do you have people that are kind of trying to get involved in real estate investing? Is there any advice or do you see some sort of common pitfalls for first time investors? Yeah, um, this is the easiest way to invest in real estate. Buy your own home, and then later on when you want to upgrade, just keep the existing place. Right. That's the easiest way. And one of the main reasons for that is that, the, the especially in Vancouver, the greatest challenge is coming up with a down payment, right? And so people that have owned in, in Vancouver for 20 or 30 years, their down payment can come out of their existing residence because it's now worth $2 million and they paid $200,000 for it when they bought it, right? Um, nowadays, they'll... Uh, especially for younger people, just saving up the 5% is a challenge. Mm-hmm. But what a lot of people don't understand is you can buy your own personal residence with 5% down. And then later on, you can buy another personal residence for yourself with as little as 5% down again. People, for some reason, assume that the 5% down rule is a first-time homebuyer rule, but it's not. It's actually a personal residence rule. So instead of um, of buying a residence and then just accumulating cash to buy that next rental property, which needs 20% down, the advice often is buy a place now that would be a good rental property in the future. Live in it now for a few years and then eventually buy a new residence and upgrade. And again, when you upgrade, buy something that might be a good rental property for the future. And just leave a trail of properties behind you. Yeah, you're leaving that trail of revenue properties. And and also, you, it, I guess the good advice here is you have to think like an investor, even if it is going to be your primary residence make yeah. sure that the re- rentals are allowed make sure that they're not capped make sure that uh, you know you're, you're basically looking at it not only as a home but as a revenue property and that is you're, you're putting on a different hat right um, you know we we um, do a lot of uh, educational events for realtors and a lot of the time we talk about how it is a different mindset you're you're not selling how close it is to the school and the walk-in closet you know and, and things like this the investor really cares about what are the numbers right right how much rental income am I going to be gaining in and and what are my expenses going out? So it, it's a different mindset. And I think that that's where um, a, an individual client has to has to look at that too. You know, is this going to be a good rental property later on? And it may it's tough sometimes to find something that is the right fit personally, plus an investment in some things that doesn't work out. You know, we, we spend a lot of time educating people on the difference between a, a realtor that focuses on investment properties versus, you know, a realtor that might just focus on helping people kind of graduate through the market as, with primary residences. What are some of the unique differences between a mortgage broker that focuses on investment properties? You know, it, I, I mean, this is something I talk about all the time. Um, there's a lot of differences. So the first thing that I notice is that most people, because they don't specialize in this this class, they don't know the pitfalls that the individual is going to run into later. Okay, so if you have five rental properties, you're a very, very small percentage of the overall marketplace. I have branch managers that have, have called me and said, I haven't seen, I haven't dealt with a client that has more than four properties ever. This is my first one. And for me, I'm thinking, well, this is my, it's your bread and butter. 500th or 1,000th yeah. or whatever, right? So you think a branch manager should be, you know, be able to handle that kind of stuff. But the reality is that most brokers, most bankers don't don't specialize in that field because only about 4% of residential real estate is purchased for investment purposes. So what are most mortgage brokers and people going to focus on? It also requires um, a different skill set. So 
the lenders that I deal with are different. Um, I tend to deal with lenders that are more investment friendly and, and, and a lot of the lenders that I deal with, a lot of clients or um, uh, other mortgage brokers say, ah, I can't stand dealing with that lender. Like, well, I have to, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I got to suck it up because they do, you know, they finance my client for that eighth rental property and most lenders don't do that. So knowing how to build a portfolio, should you do it in a company name versus a personal name is, is a big key. Uh, the tax implications too. Uh, most people don't understand the tax implications and that's where I can't give accounting advice, but I can definitely point a client in the right direction on, Hey, talk to your accountant about these two things or these three things, because if uh, in most cases, this is how it will benefit you or favor you. Um, an easy example of that is whenever you borrow money to invest, the interest portion of the payments is tax deductible. So if you borrow money against your residents to use for down payment on a rental property, the 20% or however much uh, you're borrowing from the uh, residents, that 20% of the, of the total purchase price is now tax deductible and the 80% mortgage on the rental property is also tax deductible. So we've had it before where um, easy explanation or easy situation is a client had an ICBC claim. She had about $100,000 and 80 of that was going to be going towards the down payment on a rental property. And, um, and what she ended up uh, doing was taking that cash, paying down her personal mortgage, and then reborrowing it back out. So now she has a paper trail to show she's borrowing money to invest. And just being able to, to write off that $80,000 worked out to be about seven or $800 a year in tax savings over a 30-year period. So, And over time, that number slowly diminishes. But that's I've saved that client over ten grand just by having a quick conversation. And that's something that I think that most mortgage brokers and, and most bankers don't really think about those things. They say, oh, you've got the cash? Cool. Well, that's going to be what you're using for down payment, right? They are order takers, not, um, not directors. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And one thought I have is uh, a past client of ours locked into a, a 10-year uh, fixed rate, you know, somebody who really likes security. And I remember when they went to refinance, um, you know, we said, hey, try not not yourself at the time, but a, a mortgage broker that knew what they were doing. They were like, this is insane that you were given that advice to lock in for 10 years in this environment. And it turns out they they weren't actually given that advice. It was just an order taking situation. How long do you want to be locked in? 10 years? Okay, done. But no real sort of professional advice uh, like somebody like yourself offers, right? And it's such a value add that often people don't think about. Everybody's situation is different, right? Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of our investors will will tend to err t- more towards variable where our first time home buyers are a little bit more towards a five-year fixed. Um, and when you look at it, the, the penalty difference between a, a fixed rate mortgage and a variable rate mortgage is generally um, the three-month interest penalty for a variable rate is usually two to five times less than the interest rate differential penalty on a fixed rate mortgage. So the reason that investors are more likely to take that is they're usually more more willing and, and able to handle fluctuations in payments. But more importantly, as an investor, access to capital becomes more and more relevant as you grow your portfolio. And so maybe the lender that we set you up with today may be the right fit for you. But two years later, you want to buy another rental property, you need to refinance the place you just bought in order to come up with that capital. And maybe that lender is not the right fit anymore because lending policies have changed. I mean, I could send you the list of how many policies have changed since I got into the business. It's <laughs> insane. I mean, it's been two or three changes per year. It's, it's, it's rough. Um, but 
lender policies change even more frequently than that. And um, and the lender that you may be with right now might not be in that right fit for you two or three years down the road. And maybe you have to break that mortgage and go somewhere else. Right. Even if they're even if interest rates are rising, that penalty cost could more completely outweigh the potential savings and in interest by locking in your rate and having that flexibility is really key. Well, we've seen just in, in recent years, we've seen variables outperform fixed rates and, and a lot of mortgage brokers putting people in variable rates. And I know everybody's different, but what do you find? Where are you, are you putting people in variables more often than not still in this, in this climate? Yeah. And there was a, a period of time, probably about six months, um, the last half of last year, interest rates were rising and that was a, a big concern for clients. And so we were looking at um, at fixed rates for, for a period of time, maybe even four months. But um, back last year, about halfway through last year, May, June, July, a lot of lenders are offering really deep discounted variable rates. And at that point, with the difference in the interest rates, we would actually map out how many prime rate increases you'd have to see over the, the five-year period for you to be just breaking even. And that that um, that number at, at around prime minus one was what most banks were offering. At the time, fixed rates were maybe 35 to 3.7%. In, the prime rate would have to go up eight times over a five-year period. And to us, that's a very aggressive stance. Is it possible? Yes. But that's that's just to break even, keep in mind. Not to mention if you have to break the mortgage in the middle of the term. Not to mention the fact that you can lock in your variable rate into a fixed rate at any time if it really looks like, oh, this is this is for real this time. Now, sure enough, the last uh, last six weeks or five weeks, we've seen bond rates plummet about 0.6%, which means that fixed rates are probably back on their way down again. Hmm. Yeah. Well, that's, that's one thing. And I mean, you often talk to people that talk about, uh, you know, the how variable rates are are usually a better option because you can't really map out the future. I remember six months ago, it's there was a lot more certainty around the interest rate environment or the increases, right? Um, you know, the Bank of Canada's hawkish. We're talking four rate increases at least in 2019. It's totally changed now in, in my from my perspective, at least, and I'm kind of not the expert. That's why we got you on the show, Kyle. But it's amazing how quickly, you know, a trade war with China, something yeah. like that just totally muddies the water. And, and I think I think maybe, can we maybe talk a little bit about that? And I and mm-hmm. don't necessarily want to get into predictions, but I guess the, the two things that, that Matt and I talk about a lot is, one is um, we're talking to people every day. The market has shifted dramatically, especially in the in condos in the last six months and the detached market we've seen for, for a couple of years now. Um, but I mean, really in the last three to six months, the media's caught up. Everybody's talking about it. A lot of people looking for the culprit. How much of an impact, I guess, did the stress test have? And do you think that that was a made, one of the main players in what's how the market has shifted here? in Vancouver and in the rest of Canada? It's hard to say. Um, I think it's just a culmination of a number of factors adding up. Interest rates finally starting to move up. Some people would just say, okay, and now is maybe not the, not the time. You know, um, we see the stress test obviously coming out. I think more importantly, it's just harder to get a mortgage. I mean, it's unbelievable how many times with with some of these deals that we're working on nowadays – how difficult it is to get a deal that used to be very straightforward and very simple, you know, and we're banging our head against the walls thinking, how is this deal not doable? And we have to change, you know, the, the way that we talk about uh, how, how, you know, how likely a client is to get a mortgage all the time. And you find that, oh, this deal was doable literally two months ago. And now I've talked to five different lenders and they're all saying a slightly different reason why they don't want to do it. So I, 
yeah, the financing definitely plays into it, but Vancouver is interesting. People's people are always waiting for the bubble to burst, aren't they? You know, and every time it's an excuse. I find that the market will have a flattening out period for about you know three years or so. It'll have a spike period for about twelve to twenty four months. It'll have a a, a then a, a correction period for about six to twelve months max, and then another flattening out period, and the cycle begins again. And when when they kind of hit the bottom, all of a sudden, all these people start coming back in, and it becomes a little bit more of a balanced market again, right? So uh, I think the people are waiting on the sidelines. They're expecting, oh, this is the time that the bubble's finally going to burst. Mm-hmm. If you want to talk about bursting, I mean, it's just a small correction to still being 150 or percent up from you know where we were 10 years ago or whatever the number sure. is right it's it's nothing too crazy but you know when you look at what's happening around the world and one of the reasons the bond yields are dropping so quickly is because all of a sudden stock markets are becoming way more volatile i don't know if you guys own stocks i'm glad i don't <laughs> <laughs> well we're, we're real estate heavy and it's, yeah, it's good. it feels good right it now right? Good, right yeah even if the vancouver real estate market is dropping slightly i mean it's not it's a flash in the pan versus you know owning you know, pieces of paper that say I have stock in this company sure. and you just don't even know why the, you know, the, why it's dropping. Um, but it's, it's been red, man. It's been really red. <laughs> <laughs> December was a bad month. <laughs> yeah. Let's put it that way. That's, that's saying it. Uh, politically. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's been bad. So what happens too, is when uh, in general, when you we see stock markets underperforming like that, um, a bond rates drop to, to follow suit. So if you're an investor and you could buy stocks or bonds, if the stock market's dropping like a stone, then, then you're going to look at allocating your capital in something else. So a lot of people move from stocks and they move into bonds. Now, if you're issuing bonds, then you have a lineup out the door all of a sudden. And you're mm-hmm. like, wow, I don't actually need to pay 2% to raise this capital anymore. I can pay 1.5%. So you see that the bond yields will fall as the stock market gets more volatile and starts to drop. This is really good for real estate investing because those people are looking for a new place to park capital. And at the same time, borrowing the capital becomes cheaper because fixed rate mortgages are ten- tending to drop in an environment where bond rates are dropping. And people are looking, well, I don't want to invest my money in stocks. Well, where, where else are you going to put it? The this security is the- of bonds, right? <laughs> yeah. Catch your one and a half percent. Line up. Line up. <laughs> yeah, it's it's crazy. But um this is something I, I try to make sure I incorporate in, in pretty much every seminar that I do when I talk about investing in real estate. Everybody always talks about, I want to buy for cash flow. And buying in the Vancouver market, it's tough. 20% down, it's pretty tough to find something that cash flow is positive, right? You're, you're doing good if you find something that breaks even, right. just covering its costs. Yeah. Now, the, the next question, and the, the biggest thing people always look at, well, what about appreciation? So what's happening in this market? Maybe we don't see as much appreciation as we used to see. Um, and uh, maybe that will finally change. Although the average of the last 30 years has been about 6% per year on average. That's really, really good. Not a bad return. Not bad at all. And and you know what? Maybe the next three years it's flat, or maybe if it's negative 0.2% over three years or whatever it is. But if you look at a 5, 10, 20-year period, it's probably going to average out, and usually I use 3% per year. Right. And that's a pretty conservative number. But this is the one that people forget about. If you have no cash flow and no appreciation just having the tenant paid on your mortgage for you represents about a seven to nine percent return on your money per year now when i do a presentation i always ask the room so who here is getting consistently seven to nine percent in your stock portfolio and one per 50 to 100 people put up their hand right one for every 50 to 100 people and i've done this survey 
30 times, you know, it's, it's insane. And maybe people are shy to put their hand. I don't know, but I'm pretty sure the guys that are getting 20% per year are not like, Oh, that's me, man. I'm getting 20% a year. (laughs) So I don't, I don't think that's the case. I think that the reality is most people aren't getting that return and that's assuming no cash flow, which means that rents will never increase in Vancouver, which unlikely. And, uh, and that's assuming no appreciation, which is also very unlikely. So it's, um, it's, it's very interesting. People forget about that aspect. So regardless of what's happening with the marketplace, find a, find a deal. And sometimes when the market is down like this, that's where you actually find the deals. I have find I have clients getting 50 grand off list price right yeah, now. Totally. You know? They call it a buyer's market for a reason. Right? Yeah, exactly. It's amazing how many <laughs> buyers don't want to jump in when it's a buyer's market. And that's where I find as a investment focused mortgage broker from a business perspective, it, it's really nice. And I was saying this earlier, it, it kind of gives me a nice baseline because my investors are always buying. Mm-hmm. They're, the smart people are always buying, right? Mm-hmm. Because that's when the deals come up. If somebody lists their house in December and they have to move and they've got to sell by January and there's less buyers, then they're going to be more willing to negotiate. And, you know, you guys say this all the time. You're looking for a motivated seller, right? Mm-hmm. Somebody who doesn't have a lot of buyers lined up and and um, and needs to sell, that's a good opportunity. I guess uh, one of the burning questions out there for a lot of people is, is what do you think is going to happen with mortgage rates this upcoming year? If I knew that, I wouldn't be sitting here with you guys right now. I'd be yeah. on a beach <laughs> be somewhere. On an hour, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so my my prediction is, um, I think they'll. I think this this decrease we're seeing right now will eventually bottom out, and then we'll see a slight increase. Here's the interesting thing: um, I'm starting to see a lot of economists start to predict. Uh, a recession or at least a reversal of, of, of growth, economic growth by about 2020. Mm-hmm. And so we're starting to see some banks actually say, yeah, rates are rising. And a lot of, this is the, this is the interesting thing. Everybody, especially most economists will always predict slow, steady increases. They almost always predict that. But a few of them are actually starting to predict a big downturn in 2020. And a few banks are even coming up publicly and saying, yeah, we think that by 2020 interest rates and Bank of Canada rates are going to drop sub- substantially. That's interesting. And that's a, a potential reason to be in a variable rate, of course. And that's why variable rates have outperformed fixed for the last 30 years. Because if you look at the chart, the rates have been dropping. Of course, you want to be in a, in a mortgage product that allows you to take advantage of dropping rates, right? So my take on it this year is we'll probably see the rates drop a little bit more um, than where they're at right now. Not a ton. Um, flatten out for a bit. Probably increase as we as we move through the year as, as usually like most markets, there's a bit of a rebound, right? You don't see a 0.6% rate drop in bonds and then, you know, continual slipping in most most cases. But that really tough part about predicting interest rates is that the it's the unforeseen circumstances that usually push the rates down. And it's the predictable things that push the rates up. Things that 9-11 had a huge impact on, on interest rates going down. The subprime crisis, which honestly a lot more people should have seen coming but didn't. Um, it's the, uh, the Eurozone crisis, you know, with, um, with Portugal, Greece and Spain, all, you know, um, not being able to fulfill their debt obligations. Uh, Brexit had a negative impact sure. on interest rates. So anything that, that comes up out of the blue, often that volatility pushes interest rates downwards. And that's the tough part is for seeing these things. These trade wars are having a big impact on worldwide markets and we're seeing the impact of it right now. Right. Right. So just, uh, I just want to go back, Kyle, to to one thing you said about the challenge where, you know, you might 
go to four or five lenders trying to get a mortgage done and everyone's giving slightly different reasons as to why they're not going to fund the mortgage. Can you kind of flesh that process out a little bit? Like why? So if it's not actually the stress tests, these lenders are just not interested in in financing mortgages right now. What's what's kind of your take on why the, the pullback's happening? The biggest challenge is is not the stress test actually because that's predictable and we understand that we build that into our sure. you know our, our models and say okay client this is what you can expect. The tough part has actually been government audits. The government's been auditing banks nonstop, especially during 2018. And that the general rule of thumb is two things: number one, no exceptions. Guess how many clients need an exception on their mortgage? Almost everybody has some little tweak or something that needs to go outside the box. Almost every one of them, right? So that's number one. Number two is non-income qualified mortgages. The bank is, uh, or the government is really, really hammering on on the banks to ensure that they're lending based off of what somebody's income can verify and qualify for, not based on what their net worth or their down payment is. And we find that that's been a big challenge for a lot of our self-employed clients because Mm -hmm. they just don't draw enough income home. Now, call me a conspiracy theorist, but it's interesting how the government recently has come out with some new rules, especially for people that own a, a, a corporation, where they want to tax them as if, uh, even if they're keeping the money inside the corporation, they want to tax them as if they were taking it all home. And now on the mortgage side, they're kind of forcing people to take the income home because less of those stated income mortgages where you can say, hey, my financial show, I made 300 grand in net income. Mm-hmm. I took 100 home. The bank says, okay, we're going to use 100. Even though the company that you are 100% owner of made 300, it's irrelevant. There are special programs that allow for, for us to sometimes use that, but those programs are slowly dying and, uh, dying and dwindling. So it's becoming more challenging to get those types of deals done um, because the bank is, uh, the government is all about income qualified mortgages. And I think they're concerned about the rising debt load. So it's making it harder to acquire mortgages and acquire real estate but it is there to protect the the value of your existing assets we're not going to have a huge meltdown like what happened down in the u.s because it wasn't extremely easy to buy all those properties in the first place you know it's getting harder and harder to acquire them but at least that way you have a a higher and a more qualified applicant owning real estate Mm -hmm. and and so there's cycles with everything right like it was a lot looser two, three years ago, it's tightened up now. How long do you foresee this kind of tightening um, taking place? He has, he's already said he has no crystal ball, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. I'll pull it out of my pocket. <laughs> um, well, I've been doing this for 12 years now, and I had about one year of a loosening of guidelines. We went from a 35 to a 40-year amortization and went from 5% down payment minimum to zero down. Guess what my first place was? <laughs> Zero down, 40-year amortization. Let's stretch this puppy out as much as we can, right? Right. Um, then in uh, pretty pretty quickly after they started to, to stretch things, um, it's been a constant tightening. And every year you think, can't get any tighter than this. In 2012, I thought, oh, man, this is so tight. <laughs> we can't just do 35% down and just write down our income on a piece of paper and get it done anymore. Oh, man, that's, that's rough. <laughs> now I look at that, I'm like, oh, man, that was... Those are the golden days, yeah. I tell you. I mean, the amount of paperwork that we need per file is probably three to four times more. If you ever, if I ever look at my old files, sometimes we'd have like the property taxes in our application might say five grand. I'm like, ah, didn't have any documentation to back that up. Didn't need it, right? right. Um, didn't need a lot of stuff. I mean, I remember 
back in the day with one bank in particular, I won't name names, but you'd fill it in a spreadsheet with all of the client's rental properties in it. And I remember the first one I, I did and I filled out the spreadsheet, verified everything, sent it in. And they said, oh, thanks so much. I'm like, oh, do you need all the stuff to, to you know, verify this? I'm like, nope, spreadsheet's good. I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> the next deal I get, I'm like, oh, the numbers don't work. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I wonder if the spreadsheet needs to be adjusted here. Yeah. <laughs> but that's the way it was back in the day. It was, it was a completely different environment that was almost acceptable. And it was the salespeople running the show back then. It's, it was, now it's the, um, uh, now it's the risk management guys running the show completely different. So my prediction, um, I think the government will keep things tight for another year or two, to be honest. I, I don't think that things are going to expand in my opinion, that the, the the banks do want to do more lending. They would prefer to do more lending. That's how they make money, sure. right? Um, I think that the uh, the challenge is the government's really clamping down and saying, no, like, don't, if your guidelines say that this is how you underwrite, then you should be following your guidelines. Mm-hmm. And I will say that as a mortgage broker, it does it does help us because in the past, maybe you had a relationship with your bank and and the bank would just bend because your deal made sense and you've been a customer here for 20 years and hey, you know what? We know you're good for it, right? Right. Relationship style banking. It's not relationship style banking anymore. It's transactional based banking where you have to fit the box regardless of who you are and how long you've been mm-hmm. with us. And every lender has a different box. And so as a broker, being able to shop all the boxes and just find, hey, you don't work with this lender, but it doesn't mean you don't fit with anybody. It just means you have to go somewhere else. It's funny, we have a lot of seasoned investors that have said to us in the past year, yeah, well, there's some new rule where I can't do A or B. <laughs> it's not a new rule, right? It just was never enforced. Yeah. And, and, that's, and that's what a lot of people have to pick up on now is the auditing is just... It's, it's Yeah, the rules have been around for a long time. It's like yeah. strata bylaws or any bylaws. Sure. A lot of them are just, they're there so that they, if they really need to enforce them, they're there, right? They're there, right. Um, that way, if you have a... You know, back in the day, if a bank had a client they really didn't want to approve, they can be like, oh, yeah, we're, we're not going to approve you because of this. Like, is that the real reason? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the credit score is not the reason. You don't want to tell them that their credit's not very good. You know, there's there's a lot of things like that. And I think now the government is, and I'm surprised, actually, the banks haven't just said, oh, if you have to follow our guidelines, then let's just change our guidelines, right? right. And maybe that's the next thing. But I think the government's probably saying, well, let's just hold off. I think they really just want to evaluate what happens here. If real estate values across the country start to drop too quickly, then they will adjust things. You know, they're not going to let the the market fall from underneath it. But I think they really want to have a lot of control over how this operates. Their preference is slow but steady growth, not huge spikes sure. like what we've seen in Vancouver, Toronto. You know, just one other um, financing kind of regulatory question. Uh, we talked about a change to HELOCs um, late last year. Can you kind of Talk about that a little bit. What's going on with home equity line of credits? How does that impact investors? Um, yeah, can you speak about that? Yeah, um, again, one of those things where a few lenders have come up with a you know a rule, and this is a new one. Um, RBC and TD, and I believe there's one other lender. I'm not uh, not remembering right now, but now what's happening is if you have a line of credit, they're looking at if you fund a new purchase somewhere else, and you already have a line of credit on, let's say, your residence, you want to buy a rental. Now they're factoring in the entire limit of the line of credit, not the balance. It's very common for us to recommend to an investor, hey, when you're when you to set up to get going, get a big line of credit on your residence because you need that for the down payment and borrowing the money to invest gives you more tax deductions. Access to capital is really, really important. Sure. 
And when you get qualified for it, you qualify to carry all of it as if you were borrowing all of it. But then when you buy subsequent properties later, you only qualify based on the balance that's outstanding. Now these two banks have said, well, we want to use the whole limit. TD actually did this previously too. Um, a couple of years ago, they came up with a rule and we fought it and fought it and fought it. And eventually they said, okay, we're going to take it away. And then they come back with it. It's interesting. I don't know if it's a government pushed item or whether the banks are actually concerned with it. I mean, if somebody has an 850 credit score and they have very little debt, is there really a concern for somebody it's having access rule. to that capital? It's it really is. Rule. So the good news is I was concerned because it looked like a few lenders made the change quick in quick succession. And I was worried that this was going to be a domino effect because the government has always, they've always had some issues with the home equity line of credit. It's a never, never plan. You're not paying it off. It's interest only. And, um, and they really don't like people using their homes like ATM machines. Sure. But I think if you look at the stats, at least with, and maybe I'm looking at my investor clients who are generally a little bit better with money than your average and um, typical homeowner, but I don't see this being a big issue. What about credit cards? You can get a credit card maybe by snapping your fingers, writing down your name and address sure. on a piece of paper. Here's your 20 grand limit. Now go buy some Ikea furniture that's going to depreciate 90% over the first six months. I mean, Especially if Matt builds it. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> so... You know, why are, we foc- why are we focusing so much on the mortgage side instead of the consumer debt side, which is really where people get crippled? I don't, it's very rare for me to look at somebody and say, wow, your mortgage is really financially burying you because the payments on that mortgage probably aren't that much more than what it would cost to just rent something somewhere else. It's the, it's the credit card payments and the vehicle loans and stuff that can really cripple you. I mean, I just got a new lease recently and I had to provide zero financial documentation. I'm sure they pulled my credit and that's it. You know, right. why, why am I getting a, I got a $700, $700 lease payment, payment per, month, per month and I provided no documentation. You know, that's the equivalent of borrowing about 150 grand, 175 grand on a mortgage, sure. which would require your whole life, you know, like everything. So, <laughs> right. yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. I'm not sure if they're going to eventually look at the consumer debt side, but I think they should. So Kyle, you're, you're an investor. Um, you're monitoring the market. Do you have any predictions for 2019? It's the third prediction question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we got, well, we got the crystal ball. Yeah. Out. Yeah. It's still out. It's still yeah. out. Yeah. Um, for, uh, you know, the market itself, like, are you talking, We're Vancouver? talking Vancouver? Yeah. 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 yeah Metro Vancouver. So, um, I think that detached homes are, are near the end of their slipping phase. Um, I think that they're going to start flattening out by, uh, in the next, you know, one to three months, in my opinion. I think that the, as the price difference or gap between condos and detached shrinks, then you're going to find more people jump back into detached. And detached in general have been slipping in most markets for longer than condos have. Mm-hmm. So it's probably been a 12 to, you know, 15 month slide for, for detached. And I think that will, will stop pretty soon. Condos, it's a little harder to say, but I think that they might, um, they might still drop a little bit in the spring, but they'll be, it won't be dropping as much as they are right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think again that they're in an earlier phase. They they really were ramping up until all of a sudden it seemed like last you know last summer just they yeah it's dropped dead June basically yeah. I was just looking back at the stats is when it really kind of I was going to say June or July yeah, yeah it, it just completely stopped right so thank um, God the appraisals uh, only considered January till June <laughs> <laughs> oh you should see some appraisals now we're just getting creamed last three months great you know yeah, the only yeah. last th- sales in the last three months have been fire sales right, right so yeah. it's it's getting we're finally seeing the you know results of appraisals coming in low 
Uh, appraisals, by the way, is three recent comparables over the last three months, right? So right. that's where um, if you're buying something in June, you still get to look back through uh, through the spring months. Yeah. yeah, and I should clarify. I actually meant assessments. The BC oh, assessments yeah, okay. that have come out in the last little bit here, they're all for condos. They're all they're, mo- they're generally all up. they're all up. A lot of <laughs> times they're up eleven percent, twelve percent. Yeah, but they're based on the January to June. Yeah, okay. Yeah, uh, yeah, sales, yeah. right? Yeah. And so now, and in July, you know, the condo market has been hammered basically for the last two quarters of twenty eighteen, and uh, people just find out that. So, so the good news for everyone is your taxes went up, yeah. and your condo value yeah. actually went down. Yeah. The bad news is, <laughs> don't trust your BC assessment. Yeah. Totally, and you yeah. can actually fight that. You can you can call in and sure and argue and and you know try and get your taxes lower too which is something that you can do i mean i'm sure it'll be um i don't know if it's you know worth certain people's time to fight for an you know oh i think it's worth three grand less than what you said and, <laughs> yeah my taxes went down 20 cents a year awesome yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but um yeah I do, I do think that the balance the market will balance out in in general this market's very very resilient and mm-hmm. uh, it doesn't drop for very long and so I do think that it'll it'll start to flatten out a little bit. And I think the spring usually is a good telling period. If the spring is really soft, then I think we might be in for a tough year. But I, I don't think that's going to be the case. I think it'll be good. All right. And, and Kyle, we know you're an investor yourself. You have a significant portfolio. Um, where are you excited about in BC and in Canada? Um, Fort St. John, Dawson Creek. That's an area that I'm heavily invested in right now. Um, with Site C Dam and the LNG going up there, there's over, I think in total between those two projects, about $50 billion going into an area that has a population of less than 40,000 people. Mm -hmm. That's insane. That's that's a lot of money. I mean, I know it's Fort St. John guys, and I've been up there way too many times. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's cold, you know, people don't like living there, but the average age is something like 30 or 31 years old. The average income is over 100 grand a year. This you know? is, you know what, we because we've been looking at uh, a project up there as well, and I was looking at the median income in the neighborhood surrounding this project, and it's a, it's almost 180K a year. Oh, like, yes. like, what yeah. do you spend that on in Fort St. John? I don't know. Oh, there's uh, a great strip diesel. bar up there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> diesel and strip clubs. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, I mean, that that's the... That's the interesting part too, is a lot of people move up there and they think, oh, I'm just going to move up here. I'm going to make bank for three years. I'm going to get a, get out of here. Yeah. And they don't leave though. They get, they get accustomed to that kind of income and that lifestyle. And then they eventually realize, hmm, maybe I should just, I'm throwing away a lot of money to rent because the rent, rent rates will rise as the vacancy rate drops, but it will take a few years before the values really start to increase because you're not going to see a lot of the locals buy their own place until they realize, hmm, maybe this is going to be my you know, the place I'm going to, you know, put down my roots, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I like that market. I've always really, I've always liked Kelowna and, and Kelowna is an interesting one um, because, well, I, I, I'm cautiously optimistic about Kelowna. I'm a little concerned about the overbuild situation. I'm worried that it's a little bit like 2007, 2008, where they built way too much product. So I probably wouldn't be looking at condos myself, um, but I'd be looking at detached there. And one of the reasons for that is that um, the Alberta market is a big trigger for that. So people don't realize that it's a lot of Albertans that actually buy and own there. Um, and uh, Alberta hasn't been a great market for the last few years. Right. Yeah, well, and that and the speculation tax, right? The BC speculation tax has really, you know, impacted Kelowna because they're not exempt, yeah. right? So, Yeah, exactly. So I, I, I do still think that we're going to see some when the times are a little bit better in, in Alberta, we're going to see a little bit more of an investment into, uh, into Kelowna again. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I still think it's a strong market and, um, and with a low dollar too, you have to look at, um, tertiary markets or markets where people are buying investment properties or second homes, vacation properties, retirement properties, and Kelowna's hits all of those marks. Yeah. Um, Vancouver Island in general is another area too. Similar, similar type of aspect here where, um, uh, a lot of retirees, but actually what I've been doing a lot of is, um, there's been a few new hospitals over on the island and I've had a ton of clients sell out of Vancouver and buy over there right. and their living costs are way lower and they make the same amount of money because mm-hmm. they get paid the same in healthcare, right? Sure. I mean, for me as a mortgage broker to go over there, okay, the, the, you know, it's not as large of a market and, um, and the average mortgage size is lower, et cetera. So for me, maybe my, my, um, cost, but my income would go down in tandem, but for certain individuals where their income is going to stay flat and their costs are going to go down, it's a change in lifestyle that people are willing to make. Sure. So I do see the island, um, growing, um, and I, I still really like the lower mainland if you can find the right, the right deal. But you've right. got to find a deal right now, and I don't think that you want to be just buying anything and everything. But now is a good time to be looking and scouring the market. And I've had a few clients that are finding some pretty interesting deals. It, it, you just have to be looking for it. Um, one other thing that I've been looking for, <laughs> believe it or not, is trailer parks. Yeah. yeah. This is yeah, funny. We, we've talked about it a bit on yeah. the podcast, but uh, great cash flow. Well, here's the thing. I mean, when you when you own real estate, um, the land appreciates and the buildings depreciate. If you own a trailer park, especially if you don't own the, own the trailers, if you just own the land and the concrete pads that people that own their own trailers are sitting on, you just own land. And you own land that cash flows. That's the problem is that generally land appreciates and buildings depreciate, but land does not generally produce cash flow. Building usually produces cash flow. Like you couldn't go to somebody and say, hey, um, our house that has a, a, a yard that's twice as big isn't going to cost you twice as much for rent. But if the house was twice as big, you could fit two families instead of one in that same location and get probably twice the rent, right? So the buildings pr- is generally what produces cash flow. So trailer parks is an interesting mix because you own land that produces cash flow. The tough part is finding them. Yeah, there's not a lot out there. Yeah. But I've, uh, I've been investigating and I have some that are good prospects that I'm working on out in the interior. And, so um, in BC. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I always think of like, I, you know, I always think yeah, of like Arizona. Georgia. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> no, no, no. But I mean, like, you know, you think about, uh, obviously in, in, uh, uh, snowbirds and, um, there's, there's great markets in, in Arizona. And uh, I don't know about Palm, Palm Springs is more townhome communities, but, uh, mm-hmm. I think about the Phoenix area, greater Phoenix area. Yep. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that, I mean, in an ideal world is if you can buy a trailer park where there may be some land development however many years down the road, which is great. Um, tough part of Phoenix is it just sprawls in every direction, right? So it is ideal to find something that is in a market where maybe the land is a little more scarce because mm-hmm. that will mean that the land that you own may appreciate more quickly if it you know if it's more developable, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was just going to mention the Kelowna, the the single family suited uh, detached houses there tend to cash flow as well mm-hmm. quite uh, quite well, which is uh, a good point. I mean, yeah, the, if the condo market, we've sold some condos there recently where if it's a special product, you know, I'm thinking like one water is quite special uh, and it separates itself compared to some of the other units. And there's other ones that are in kind of the more the the Airbnb market, like there's yeah, own for Airbnb Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Um, but the detached market, I think, is 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 a great. That's great advice. 
Yeah, that's what I'd be looking for if I was looking in that area. And Airbnb is great. You know, um, if Kelowna follows suit at some point, I don't think it will necessarily, but if it follows suit to what happened in Vancouver, mm-hmm. you want to be owning houses that you have no strata, nobody telling you whether yeah. you can or can do uh, Airbnb, right? So right. Uh, that's another major benefit. And I've seen some of my clients that have purchased, uh, you know, properties that are great in Airbnb properties and their, their cash flow is great. Dealing with, it's just dealing with the in and outs, <laughs> you know, sometimes there's some people that party too much and you really need to know what kind of neighbors do you have next to you? Are they, you know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause if you have neighbors that complain over and over and over again, you'll, you'll have some issues. Sure. Well, maybe we'll leave it there, but Kyle, we have this segment called the five wire, five quick questions about Vancouver. Can you stick around for that? I can. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. So first question is what is your favorite neighborhood in Vancouver? Favorite neighborhood? Um, well, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at, uh, at my own place and I would say I really like Camby village. I don't know what it is. And maybe this is just a personal, personal thing for me, but, um, I just like the feel of it. It's close to Whole Foods <laughs> for the girlfriend, man. You have no idea. That's a really important thing. So, uh, yeah, uh, really walkable, but you can hop on the SkyTrain, get to my office, two SkyTrain stops away or three, three stops away, I guess. Um, just a really nice kind of quiet, but you, you still feel like you're close enough to downtown, but, uh, you can still get out of uh, Vancouver. A little bit removed. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of a nice, nice feel. So I think that's an area that I, I, I like right now. Favorite restaurant or bar? Oh man. Um, I mean, Hey, uh, celebrities has some pretty good uh, electronic music sometimes. So eventually, you know, every once in a while I'll go out to celebrities and see a show, but um i'm trying to think of a good restaurant that i really like i usually jump around and, and try different things so it's hard for me to say that i you know i frequent a specific bar or a specific um restaurant i'm a big fan of the sandwiches at whole foods oh yeah <laughs> is that your favorite restaurant <laughs> <laughs> i probably do eat like dinner That's a there foodie. yeah <laughs> foodie, eh? yeah after workouts my girlfriend and i sometimes will be driving home uh from richmond actually and sometimes we're like oh we're really hungry let's just go to whole foods buy a whole chicken <laughs> get a couple avocados <laughs> and just tear that chicken apart after the workout yeah it's good healthy yeah where do you bring somebody from out of town in vancouver the first place you take them wow as Stanley Park's a great one, yeah. you know, uh, yeah, you rent a bike, you go along the seawall, go around Stanley Park. That's probably the number one. Great answer. Downtown Penthouse or Westside Mansion? Wow. 31-year-old Kyle is definitely seeing the Penthouse downtown. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's going to change over time, but um, I, I'd say the, the Penthouse, I like being in in the city. I like being close to my office. I like being close to everything right so and maybe that'll change eventually but and the final question kyle is what is something that you've bought in the last year or so for under 500 dollars that's had a huge impact on your your overall life could be a gadget and an album a book wow huh i get progressively harder as oh i know right (laughs) you've only got the next one left (laughs) no this is the last one yeah i know you guys didn't prep me for this one at all Um, first one that comes to mind is, um, I've really tried to, to dial in my sleeping habits. Okay. And it's not easy. Like last night I had a hockey game that started at 10, 15 and, uh, and so, and then a workout yeah. that started at 7 AM in Richmond. So timing wasn't working out, but we're, you know, we're really trying to make an effort on go to bed by 10 or 10 30 and wake up at 6 AM and do that religiously every day. Um, something that I found helps is I, I got this alarm clock 
that actually slowly emulates the sun rising. So it starts off, so if your alarm goes off at 6, around 5.30 or so, it'll be, it'll slowly get red and it'll slowly fade from a dark red into a bright yellow until six o'clock and then your alarm goes off and then it has you know tropical birds chirping away and you know it's <laughs> I, I i really found though that it's a little easier to wake up when you have Does light it actually it actually brightens up the entire room yeah you'd be surprised they're expensive but, yeah, yeah but it's it was pretty cool i think it was i bought it a year ago for about 120 bucks and i think somebody told me they're more expensive now uh, i think it was panasonic but it it it's probably about eight inches you know in in, uh in in diameter um and it brightens up the whole room and it's nice because then you can still close the curtains and especially if you're condo living you can close the curtains and get that nice deep sleep instead of having lights and and light pollution in your room right um but still get the light coming in the room in the morning so wow yeah it's kind of of that idea that you're 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 not jarring yourself out of deep sleep or like REM sleep. I yeah, because I, I think subconsciously you're you know we we are set to the sun cycle, right? I right. mean nowadays we have so much artificial light all the time in our eyes, and it's harder for I think for us to get a real sleep. You know, when you go camping, you're like, oh yeah, it was great. You wake up at six a.m. feeling fresh and yeah. rejuvenated. <laughs> yeah, good luck. With a sore back. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Why am I in a ditch? You're uh, <laughs> surrounded by beer cans. Um, <laughs> not my recent experience. But no, it's 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 really good because it does emulate uh, you know waking up naturally, and I think we've been around for a lot longer than all this artificial light has, and I think that um, your your body naturally um, wants to to work with the uh, circadian rhythm, as I you say it, yeah. I, I think so, yeah. I think no one it. here is going to know. <laughs> yeah, so. exactly. I can see you guys shaking your heads like, sure. Yeah, I shouldn't even ask. I should have just... That's all the time like we have yeah. now, Kyle. <laughs> perfect, perfect. Yeah. Well, Kyle, so how can people find out more about what you're doing and, and how can they get in touch with uh, you and your team? Yeah, um, best way is just to check out our website, www.greenmortgageteam.ca. Uh, our contact information, more about us is is listed there. Um, we're located downtown Vancouver. We service anybody across Canada. In 2017, because I don't have 2018 numbers, but 2017, uh, I was the number 18 mortgage broker in all of Canada for volume. Wow. And we grew 20% last year in a down market. So Fantastic. Hoping to be higher on the list for next year. <laughs> Help Kyle get higher on the list. Yeah. Please, please. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, as a, as a testimony, I, I've had some clients uh, have conversations with you over the last six months and man real positive feedback so we thank you for that and uh yeah anybody should definitely reach out to kyle if they're thinking about mortgages in general yeah thanks a lot guys thanks for taking the time so there you have it folks our discussion with Kyle Green, mortgage broker and owner of the Green Mortgage Team. Matt really enjoyed having Kyle on the podcast and actually having him in studio was great. Yeah. Um, Really, that conversation was like 35 minutes. It flew by. It's great chatting with him. Super knowledgeable guy. And we'd love to have him back. No kidding. We'll we'll definitely have him back. Yeah, we'll definitely have him back. 
for sure. Yeah, yeah. What was your biggest takeaway? You know, my biggest takeaway, well, not really a takeaway, but what I will say is it's interesting to know that when markets shift like this and, and monetary policies tighten, it's not so much that people don't want to buy real estate. It's not that the buyers necessarily move to the sidelines and, and don't want to buy. It's that so many people cannot buy, right? It's just they're limited now from a financial perspective where they could have been buyers in previous years. Yeah. The other thing that struck me was... A couple years ago, it really seemed like the big banks were aggressively uh, going after new clients for mortgages. Sure. And they've all tightened up. It sounds like primarily because of audits. But mortgage brokers are back in the in, in the good graces here. They're the ones who can get deals done a lot of the time. Whereas for sure. a couple years ago, they were really at a disadvantage. So. And it's it's like Kyle said too. It's also the mortgage broker that's gonna that's gonna go that extra step, go that extra mile, and knows to get how to done. and knows how to get it done. Yeah, because files are complicated, and if you don't know how to get it done now, so you need a good mortgage broker working on your behalf. Absolutely, that's for sure. The other thing uh, I should point out is. Kyle mentioned he owns a bunch of properties up in Fort St. John. He's he's really excited about Northeast BC. Right. We have talked on the program before about Cambridge Estates. I did want to say there is a tour of Fort St. John coming up January 26th and 27th. It's going to be cold. It's going to be cold, but it is going to be mind-blowing. If you are interested in Fort St. John at all, I'm headed up that morning. I'm, Are you? I'm, uh, I picture John Candy, planes, trains, and automobiles. It better, you that and better not happen because I'm actually going up in the morning. I'm coming home at night. But if you're interested in finding <laughs> out more about Fort St. John, Dawson Creek, the LNG project, and Sightsee Dam, I think combined it's like fifty billion dollars right. is going uh, up into that community. There's twenty thousand people, huge opportunities, and there's a tour coming at the end of the month. So get in touch if you're at all interested in learning more about that. Yeah, and I'll stop yelling while you're talking in the background. I felt like flavor <laughs> yeah, flavor, like my hype man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Anyways, uh, what time is it, Adam? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let me just check my necklace. Uh, what else do we got, Matt? We got uh, how to get in touch with you. Yeah, yeah I was going to say Fort St. John, Vancouver, anything you want to talk about real estate related or anything at all, really, 778-847-2854 or Matt at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Or you can try me at 778-866-4574 or Adam at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. And if you're looking for a big adventure, try the Big Top Peewee line. Come on, get in there, Paul. <laughs> info at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com that's his email don't wear it out <laughs> all right guys take care have a good week we'll talk to you next week two thousand faces for radio subscribe today Hey everyone, pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. We want to take a minute to tell you about Holy House, a nonprofit organization that provides community building programs and tenant support services to low-income seniors, veterans, families, and vulnerable residents in the downtown east side and across the lower mainland. Melissa from our team has been volunteering at Holy House. Melissa, what's been your experience? Honestly, it's been so fulfilling just to spend a few hours a week in the community and watch how the staff really transforms 
these vulnerable communities from the inside out, starting with just small things, right? Playing games, drinking coffee, having some simple conversations that you wouldn't necessarily think are super fulfilling. And you come out just feeling like you've really made an impact and connected with the community. And you've been to multiple buildings, but you're playing games, drinking coffee. Yeah. You know, serving food sometimes. And you made some friends along the way. I've made some friends along the way. It's really helped me be more present, actually, in those moments of just, you know, realizing how simple life can be to make an impact, right? Fantastic. And if you want to learn more, you can definitely check out Jenny Conkin, co-founder of Holy House, who is a past guest fan favorite on the show, or head over to holyhouse.ca where you can donate or volunteer. And they're looking for both donations and they definitely like volunteers. That's holyhouse.ca. Vancouver needs your help. Be part of the solution. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020. <laughs> 